Turn to Luke chapter 1, because last week we began our Christmas series that is in conjunction with the kids' church, actually. And we're looking at, well, well last week we looked at, looked at the prophets who spoke. We looked at Isaiah and, and Micah and how God used them as the vessels, as the tools to give specific details that before the foundation of the world, God in his love, God in his mercy, God in his holiness and in his grace made known to mankind through the prophets his redemptive plan and how that redemptive plan was going to be had. And we looked at it last week that the, the, the shocking consequences to Adam and Eve's sin but we also have the abundance of God's intervention when he does some amazing things. He, he keeps people informed. It's really exciting. When you read the scriptures, you read how God involves himself. Like he gave pictures to Adam and Eve and in turn us about this redemption, about this this, this atonement, about this reconciliation that can be had. I mean, you read and how, what, what did God do for Adam and Eve? When Adam and Eve sinned and they covered themselves in leaves, what did God do? God, in a brutal display of the consequence of sin, killed an innocent lamb and then covered them in the lambskin. So an animal had to die because of their sin. Then you have other pictures like that wonderful picture with Moses and the Passover, how an innocent lamb is slaughtered and the blood of the lamb is placed on the doorposts and on the lentil of the door so that when the Lord came through the city, they would see the blood, sorry, he would see the blood and he would pass over that house. The judgment would escape because they were covered by the blood, another picture. And as we looked at last week, more insights into this redemptive plan with the likes of Micah and with the likes of Isaiah, specifically the way Jesus would come through a virgin, who Jesus would be, a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, what his family tree is and where he would be born, emphasizing again the heart of God that is continually reaching out, the heart of God that is continually trying to reveal himself to us, not just who know him, but even to those who don't. And it's a truth that's reiterated today as we move from the prophets who spoke last week to the angel who spoke today. So let's pray and let's look at the scriptures together as we look at Luke chapter 1 and the angel that speaks God's word to his chosen vessel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Please help us now to see you in everything we, we read in the scriptures today so that our hearts may be excited with yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was preparing this message, the first verse that popped into my head was this one. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. How in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, which was what we looked at last week. And, oh, sorry, at many times and in various ways. 
As you read in the scriptures, you'll notice how God is not limited to how he communicates to people, with how he connects to people. Last week, he spoke through the prophets, the likes of Isaiah, the likes of Micah, the likes of Amos, the likes of Jeremiah. And with the way he did that, it was like a verbatim thing. What was the, the, pre, the, the preceding line to many of their messages? Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. And then they would quote verbatim what it was that God wanted the people to hear. That's what happened with the prophets. Now the various ways referred to here are the, the numerous other ways that God would reveal his will. The other ways God would reveal his heart. The various paths God would use to reveal his purpose, his plan, and his ways, well, even himself, and his ways to his people, like dreams. He would reveal himself in dreams. You look at Jacob, you look at Pharaoh even, and you have Joseph. You look at visions, the likes of Ezekiel and John and Paul, as well as what I thought was really exciting, how God is not limited, through things. How did he reveal himself to Moses? A burning bush that he notices. Wow. What about Balaam? Through a donkey. God spoke to Balaam through a donkey. King Belshazzar, in the time of Daniel, even had a finger appear and write on a wall. The finger of God. That's where the saying comes. You've seen the writing on the wall. That's where it comes from. When there, was write, there was actual writing on the wall. And as mentioned earlier, through angels. That's part of the various ways that the writer of Hebrews makes reference to. Messages of God appearing to specific people to hear a specific message or, in this case, hear a specific calling. And as we're moving into Christmas, we have this one, a virgin named Mary in a town called Nazareth. There is this angel called Gabriel who shows up. And when you look at Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we read this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, context is huge. This is in an age where the silence of God was prevalent. The nation of Israel was no longer hearing the messages of God. God would speak to people. God would reveal different things to certain individuals for a particular reason. Case in point, Simeon. Simeon heard that he had to actually hear from Luke chapter 2. He, had actually, he wasn't going to die until he had first seen the Messiah. Anna, the prophetess, another person that heard of the Messiah's coming as well. And now, Mary. Mary has this message appear to her in fulfillment of last week's prophetic word, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. We are given an actual look at to who this virgin is. And now what I want to look at today from Luke chapter 1 is what I call several or five words, five words that the angel speaks to Mary. And how those five words are also or just have as much relevance for us today. An angel that speaks to her this word, which I call the word of favor. 
a word of favor. The angel went to her and said in verse 28, greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The word favor here means to endue, to impart, or to bestow upon another a special honor. To give someone a special honor. And in this case, as Gabriel speaks to her, this word of favor is emphasized by those last five words. That favor is the fact that the Lord is with you. That's why she's favored, not because she's special, not because she's a virgin, but because the Lord is with her. This is this word of favor that she receives. From that word of favor, we see this word of comfort. Because honestly, if somebody shows up telling you, especially an angel saying something like that, she was freaked out. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So what does he do? The word is a word of comfort. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. She's troubled at something so strange, approached by an angel of the Lord, baffled by the greeting that is given to her, but then comforted by their specific word. That word, their favor, is charis or charis. It means grace that has come upon her. And so that's what so it goes from this word of favor that God has seen her a specific way to a word of comfort because she doesn't fully understand what's going on. And then a word of vocation, a word of calling. You read you this, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Imagine being told that as your calling from God himself to bear the child of the most high God, a child that will ultimately reign, a child that will rule, a child that will establish a never-ending kingdom. I mean, these are three words of favor, comfort, and of vocation given to this young woman who is in the middle of Nazareth just being about her life. And then God meets with her. God confronts her. God tells her and speaks into her life these three words so far, to which I think would be overwhelming. I mean, honestly, um, Chris, where's my brother Chris? He's run away? Wow. Plays the piano and leaves. But see, our brother Chris, who was on the keyboard, I've never, in the, in the years I've been a part of Grace Christian Church, I've never seen Chris on the keyboards. Never. And I'm sure that when someone asked him, Chris, can you play the keyboards? His first reaction would be, oh, I don't think so. Oh, I don't know. Eva, his lovely wife, just told me that he's been all day practicing and preparing for this performance today. And I thought, well, he's not here, but let's give Chris a bit of a round of applause. For, for his service in this. But we, we get hung up. We get hung up when people ask us to share our testimony. 
We get hung up when people ask us to perform or do something that's out of the ordinary. We get hung up when people say to us, can you go share with this person or pray for this person? We get hung up on the smallest of things if it costs us something. This is Mary being approached by an angel of the Lord to say, you are favored and you're going to be the mother of the most high God, of the deliverer of, of, of all mankind. That's a big thing to get hung up on. That's something to freak out over. And so what happens is that we have this word of favor. We have this word of comfort. We have this word of comfort, of, of, of vocation. But then comes a word of explanation. Because she says what I think one of the most logical things that needs to be said. How will this be? How can that happen, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Now remember, Last week, we looked at the details regarding the birth of the Redeemer from the prophets. In the similar manner, God, through Gabriel, explains clearly how this will come about. How God will involve himself within the fulfilling of this particular calling. I've shared this before. I will share it again. Trevor McElwain, one of my lecturers at college, who said, God will never call you in to do something without first equipping you with the ability to fulfill that call. He's the one that enables you. He's the one that prepares you. He's the one that instructs you. He's the one that explains to you how things can be and will be or should be done. And that's what Mary receives here of how this will come to pass. She hears about Elizabeth, her older cousin. She's old. That sounded bad the way I said that. I'm sorry. But she's old and she's having a baby in her old age. For her, that would be an encouragement in her faith of what God is doing and what God can do. That would be a huge strengthening to her faith and a huge strengthening and willingness to accept this word, this call of vocation or this word of vocation that has been given to her. And on top of that, you have this final confirmation of God's involvement in bringing about the redemption of mankind with this word of assurance. Look at that. Of all the times I've read this passage every Christmas for the last 30 years of, of being a Christian and preparing for this message, this is the word that stuck out to me in verse 37. The word of assurance for no word from God will ever fail. Have you seen that? Have you noticed that? And all the times I've read that, that just popped out for no word, not some, not just a few, for no word from God will ever fail. It is this final word, this final word that, that comes to her that just, just confirms everything, that just settles the troubled spirit, that just settles the doubting mind, that just, just brings to, to peace all the questions that might be there no word of God will ever fail. Now, in, in, in 
Isaiah 55, which is passages that we know and I've quoted time and time again when it says how God's, God's ways are higher than our ways and God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Now, I love the way the King James puts this in verses um, 10 and 11. It says this, For as the rain, I won't say the cometh, for as the rain comes down, and the snow, as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Verse 11, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It won't return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Man, doesn't that make your hair stand on the back of your? I, I don't have hair. That's right. But doesn't that make you like? Doesn't that make you like? Wow, that sent a chill down my spine when I read that. Just then, that's just like. Whoa. I want to read verse eleven again. Just because of how excited, you read that, no word from God will ever fail. Verse 11 of Isaiah 55, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. That's the word that of assurance that comforts Mary at this particular time because such an impact that these words had on Mary that her response, her response are these two words that I want us to learn from. A word of acknowledgement. I am the Lord's servant. A word of acknowledgement. I am the Lord's servant and a word of submission. May your word to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And hearing what she heard and the addressing of her concerns and the imparting of God's word, she could do nothing else but recognize and submit to the assurance, to the explanation, to the calling that the God of creation had given her. Remember, the angel is the one, one of the various ways that God spoke in times past. And when that word came to her, when those words came to Mary, her response is just to say, I will recognize who you are and what you said, and I will submit to what it is that you want from me. Those five words. Now, James chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says this. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Who does not change like shifting shadows. Which basically means this. The God who gave Mary these five words is the same God who gives us those same words. 
those contexts, like, you know, the con- once again, I've said this before, the context may be different from each of us. We have Andrew, who's a newly married man. We have Jono, who's been married a lot longer. You have Pastor John, who's been married even longer. Different contexts, different stages of life, different people. And yet, the truths of God's word apply to each couple I mentioned. Each individual here, regardless of the context that you're in. He doesn't change. As he had been with in the saints of old, so he was now with Mary. As he was toward Mary, so he has been with the saints after Christ rose again. And so he is the same for us now. That we have our five words from the Almighty. Our words that challenge us and change our focus and our lives. So we have our word of favor. I would encourage you to look up each of these passages. I only gave references to it. But I want you to read the actual passages. See, when Jesus died for our sins, when Jesus rose again from the dead and conquered death, when Jesus ascended to the Father, we received God's favor because Jesus made us acceptable to God. So that words such as this in John chapter 15, verses 15 and 16 says this, I no longer call you servants. Get that. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. That is our word of favor from the King of Kings. That he now considers us friends, not servants, chosen by Christ. Not only named as friends, but included as siblings. In Hebrews chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 It says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, meaning Christ, bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Verse 11, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy, that's us, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And King James, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. That's amazing. He's not ashamed. Now, look, I do some embarrassing things. I'm sure I have done some embarrassing things for my children, where my children have probably thought to themselves, I wish that was not my dad, that I've been somewhat shameful Jesus never, with all my immaturity, with all my silliness, with all the stupid things I have done, Jesus still looks at me and considers me part of his family. Such is the grace and love of Christ to me. And so not only, not only as friends, not only as siblings, but we also are loved 
as his children. Now, I know I quote this, but I only ever quote the first half. Listen to this. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Here's the second part. This, I always stop there. Here's the second part. And that is what we are. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And then you look in verse two, it says, we are now children of God and what will it be? Uh, what will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. I mean, that, that is one of the many words of favor that we have received in Christ. Here's your homework. For each one of these words, I want you, when you go home, you make, list, you make, make a list of these, okay? When you go home, when you spend your quiet time, I want you to dig deep within the scriptures and you find out those words of favor that God has given you in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's just the three. Servants, not servants, but friends, chosen by Christ. We are siblings. We are lavished upon as his children. That is a word of favor. If favor means an undeserved bestowal of goodness and giftings, that is grace that we have received in Christ. That is our word of favor. We are also given our word of comfort, the beauty of be not troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me in John chapter 14, verse one. It can be trusted because the truth of his presence will never leave us nor forsake us. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse five, that, that promise that he will always be with us in Matthew 28, verse 20, that uh, we abide, oh, sorry, sorry that, that promise that he'll always be with us abides. And the reminder that he is through Christ, the God of all comfort, the comfort that we receive in Christ. That's, and, and okay, in 2 Corinthians, I put it up here, chapter one, verses three to five says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in, his, uh, in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we also receive from God. For just as we, abund we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. There is nothing more, I can't just say loving or, or caring. There's nothing more joyful or settling to the heart when someone comes alongside you and comforts you no matter what the situation might be. I know, I know when I have, in, t in days past, when I have whether felt discouraged or felt upset or there's been an issue going on and my wife has come alongside me and just comforted me. She hasn't said much. She's just prayed for me, put her arm around me. But that comfort just brings a settled peace to one's soul. This is what we have received in Jesus Christ. He is our word of comfort. Such comfort is imparted to us because we are constantly faced with uncertainty in life. But in that uncertainty, I mean, 
honestly, when we look at the, the way things are in the world today, when we wonder about our children who are growing up, when we wonder about our careers, when we wonder about the, the various standards that have been chipped away in society today, we can take comfort because our true north never changes. Our true north remains the same. Our true north continually reigns and is continually in control because our true north is Jesus Christ. He is the captain of our salvation. He is the firstborn over all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. And as you looked at in the last verses that I shared, he is our family. That's who he is. That's why we can have words of comfort. And who, who in that comfort, in that comforting word, knowing that comforting word, knowing the God of comfort, of all comfort, he also bestows upon you and I this word of vocation, this word of calling for each of us. As Mary was approached with this word of vocation, this word of calling to bear the Son of God in like manner, we too have been called to bear the word of God too, to bear the gospel, to bring forth the truth of God's word that to people who don't know him. That we, a word we all know, that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel, that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, that we are to be about loving God and loving others. The, the two greatest commandments in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 and 30, to which Jesus says, upon these hang all the law, to glorify God in all things, whether it be eating or sleeping, to, to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God, as it says in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. These are our callings, and whether it's be holy, for I am holy in 1 Peter chapter 1, whether it's Matthew chapter 5, when it says, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect, whether it be, as, as it talks about, to, to walk worthy of Jesus Christ. It talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, there is a calling placed on each of our lives that we all know within the Scriptures. And for many of us, when we see such a calling, we respond in Mary's same fashion, how can this be? How can this be? I'm not a gifted speaker, Lord. How can this be? I'm not talented in coming alongside somebody. How can this be? I'm not much of a prayer. How can this be? I can't play the keyboard. I can't sing. How can this be? be. And so when we are challenged with such a thing, that's why our God in like manner, our five words, that's why he gives us a word of explanation. In like manner, just as he did for Mary back then about how that was going to come about, he gives to you right now. When he says, abide in me, he explains that in abiding in him, then fruit is brought forth. When we abide in him, when we make him our dwelling place, when we dwell in his presence, when we connect with him, as we abide and make ourselves at home in him, then fruit comes forth. 
when he says that he is the only way to the Father, he goes, when he goes, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6, he says so and explains why that is, because no man comes to the Father except through him. When he says that he is the bread of life in John 6.35, he's saying that because with everything that is around in life, with everything that we try to feed on in life, nothing will sustain you, nothing will fulfill you, nothing will bring you contentment outside of Jesus Christ. There is a wonderful illustration in The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis. How many of you have read the, uh, the Narnia Chronicles? So in the final book, The Last Battle, there's a wonderful picture, which I really like. I like listening to it. But there's this one part where there's a bunch of dwarves where they're in, they're sort of like they're in Aslan's country. And they, they, they still think they're trapped inside, inside this, this, this stable. And Aslan comes along and he, and he makes all this lovely food appear. And then they start feeding on it. And they're like, oh, this is terrible. Like, it's like husks. It's like, it's like rubbish food. It's like pig slop or whatever it might be. And they're looking at them and says, can't you see that? Can't you see it? And, and they've blinded themselves through their own hardness of heart. This is what we do when we have the beauty of the gospel, when we have the beauty of God's word, when we have the beauty and the richness of what we have in Jesus Christ, which, which far outweighs and is far greater than anything this world offers, and yet, when we feel like we're missing out on what the world is, then we look at what we have in Jesus and think it's far less than what it actually is. See, we, we have this word of explanation. That's why he says, abide in me. That's why he says it's only through him you can get to the Father. That's why he says that sustenance and fulfillment can only be found in him. And while the explanation to every trial or, or the explanation to every struggle or every obstacle, every hardship, it might not be clearly explained. It might not be an answer that you like. It might not be an answer that you are willing to accept. We must be, we have to be willing to receive from him that whatever it is that is going on around us that we may not fully understand that we must rest in our true north regardless. We have to see our lives in its correct perspective. This, this life, as blessed as it is, as great as and as thankful as I am for all that God has given me in this life, this life will end. This life will end. That, that, that one day, one day, you're going to be at my funeral and you're going to see me in my casket and you're going to go, wow, Joe looks funny. I haven't seen him that dark before. I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but see, that's going to come to an end. And, and, and my goal, my goal is not to invest all of my efforts and all of my resources and all of my time into this life. No, it's into the life to come. To invest into my children's lives for the life to come. To invest into your lives for the life to come. That's, that's, what we do. that's what we're to be focusing upon. That is the, the word of explanation. That is our explanation that God has given us in Jesus Christ in preparation for that life to come. And with that, Mary, as Mary was imparted this wonderful blessing, this wonderful word of assurance, 
so too we are given words of assurance to help see these lives that will come to an end in its right context. That we know that he is the one that overcomes the world in John 16, 33. That he is the one that speaks peace into the storms of chaos that your life may be going through. That he is the one that does that. That he is the one that speaks life to a dead and buried soul in, in, in 11.43 when he calls Lazarus forth. I mean, honestly, when you look at your spiritual life at times and you're feeling dry or you're feeling dead, you're feeling blah just in your spiritual life. He is the one that revives. He is the one in his spirit that injects life into your soul. He is the one that quickens your heart. He is the one that does that. That's why he gives us words of assurance. They are words to be trusted. They are words to be obeyed. They are words to be cherished. For these words are from Jesus. They are words of life. And such words are given to us not to make us feel better about ourselves. These words are not given to us for us to think something of ourselves that we're not or that we're deserving of such life-changing or life-transforming promises. It's not to make us feel better about ourselves. Such words are given so that we would, like Mary, know and recognize what we have been given in Jesus who we have become in Jesus, and how then we should live because of Jesus. That's why he is the one who lived and died and rose again so that you can have life, so that you can have power to overcome, so that you would experience these words of favor, comfort, vocation, explanation, and assurance, regardless of the context, so that we, like Mary, would respond in the same manner to say that I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That we would recognize the words the Lord has spoken to us in the Scriptures. These words of favor, these words of comfort, these words of vocation, these words of explanation, these words of assurance, which means this, if you want me to, to close with something substantial and basic, from the youngest believer to the persevering older saint, discover these words for yourself. Discover these words within the scriptures. Discover these words as you walk with him. Discover those words in Jesus. Discover these words. Discover the word of God himself. That's, that's the charge. So that like Mary, we respond in the same way. David Platt I want to close with this. David Platt says this. Scores of men, women, and children have been told that becoming a follower of Jesus simply involves acknowledging certain facts or saying certain words, but this is not true. Mary, and Joseph for that matter, shows us that the call to follow Jesus is not simply an invitation to pray a prayer 
It is a summons to lose our lives. It is not an invitation to pray a prayer. It is a summons to lose our lives. There is indescribable joy to be found, deep satisfaction to be felt, and an eternal purpose to be fulfilled in dying to ourselves and living in him. Ask the Lord to give you the grace to follow him in faith and in glad obedience. That is a huge word. And that is a word that I want to leave with you today. That you would experience the five words of the Almighty in your life. Words of favor, words of comfort, words of vocation, words of explanation, and words of assurance. And to walk in those words as you discover Jesus in each of your lives. So I'm going to invite the music team up. Is, is Chris still around? Has he come back? Oh, there you are, bro. Okay. So um, we're, going to sing, we're going to sing the song Remembrance, which I think is appropriate. And then I'll close in prayer after that. Father, as we stand here in your presence, we thank you. Thank you for the words of favor, for the words of comfort, for the words of vocation and explanation, and for the words of assurance that you have given us. I pray that you will help us to live in remembrance, remembrance of what you have done for us on the cross, remembrance of the sacrifice that you have made, remembrance of the power that you have given us in your son, remembrance of the new citizenship we have been granted, remembrance that our names are written in the book of life, remembrance that we are the citizens of heaven and had the love of God lavished upon us in your son. Father, I pray you will stir our hearts in that remembrance so that we will be about the call you have placed on each of our lives. May your will, may your will be done in each of us for your glory, for the extending of your kingdom, and for the glorifying of your name. And Lord, it is in your mighty name that we ask these things. And all God's people said, Amen.